Well, with it being Canada Day, I thought that it was appropriate to use Canada as a bit of a starting point for my message. And I just want to give you a little details about how Canada became its own country free from Great Britain. So before Canada became its own country, it was part of the British colonies known as British North America. Now, during the 1800s, there was great tension between the United States of America and Great Britain and her colonies, especially due to the fact that they had just been at war with each other and the U.S., and with the U.S. winning their independence, tension was at an all-time high. Because of this tension, the province of Canada began to plan for confederation. And leaders from New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and Prince Edward Island had already thought about joining together in a maritime union and were planning a conference. The politicians from the province of Canada asked if they could come to the meeting to propose a larger union of all the British North American colonies. The maritime colonies agreed to let them attend, and all the leaders met at Charlottetown in Prince Edward Island. This was the first of the three conferences that led to the Confederation in 1867. There was the Charlottetown Conference in September of 1864. And there goes my speaker. The conference of, that was held in London in December, or sorry, the conference that was held in Quebec in October of 1864, where the rough draft for the British North American Act was written, and then the London Conference in December of 1866, <clears throat> all the way to January of 1867, where the final British North American Act was brought before the British Parliament. And on July 1st of 1867, the Dominion of Canada became a country with four provinces. New Brunswick and Nova Scotia had hardly changed, but the province of Canada was split into two new provinces, Ontario and Quebec. And it would take more than a century to add the other six provinces to the, and three territories that today make up Canada. Now, that's just a short, quick history of Canada and how it gained its, was given its freedom from Great Britain. And in John 3.16, we have a quick history lesson given by God on how we have been given our freedom from sin. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And before I go any further, let's have a quick word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You that we're able to, Lord, on Canada Day, come and gather in church, Lord, with fellow Christians, Lord, fellow believers in You, Lord, and we have this freedom, Lord, in this great country to... Do this, Lord, and I pray that you would just today bless this service, Lord. Bless me, Lord. I pray that, Lord, as I preach this message, I wouldn't, Lord, preach my message, but I'd preach the message that you have prepared, Lord, and that I wouldn't say anything you don't want me to say, Lord. I pray you'd bless this message and it would touch and encourage lives, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we see at the beginning of John 3.16, the first phrase is, For God so loved the world. And first thing I want to talk to you about is how God has given us His love. First John 4, verses 7-10 to 10 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so as we see here, it talks about God being love. Now, the English word for love does not do justice to the meaning of what the Bible here is talking about, God's love. The Greek word for this type of love is agape, which means, which speaks of an unconditional love. 
And God's love is a love unlike any other. His love is never changing. His love is never ceasing. And His love is always a guaranteed love. Because as it says at the end of 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Love is exactly who God is. And I want to take a little time right now to look at the depth of God's love. We know God loves us. If we read that in the Bible many times, God loves us. But sometimes I wonder if we know how much God loves us. Well, in Ephesians 3.19 it says, And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And so as we see in this verse, the depth of God's love is immeasurable and cannot be fully known. It is far too deep for our finite minds. Just think about the fact that all we know of God's love, all that we read of God's love in the Bible, and all the love God has shown us throughout our daily lives, is only just scratching the surface of how much God truly loves us. And that's enough to blow my mind. I'm sure it's enough to blow your mind enough already as well. The love of God goes far deeper than any human love could ever go. And the love of God is much more genuine than any, any human love. You know, sometimes in our human relationships, the people we love, we get in spits and spats and we fight. And sometimes our love kind of just, you know, fades away a little bit. Yeah, sure, we, 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 we like them, but we don't really love them so much. You know, when sometimes if, you know, if me and my wife get in a bit of an argument, you know, sometimes it's, you know, you, you say, I love you, dear, but sometimes it's not, you know, super genuine because you're like, oh, why does she have to, you know, <laughs> you know, or she's like, oh, why does he have to, you know, and, you know, there's that little bit of a disconnect there, but God's love is always a love that is genuine. God's always, even when we sin, when we turn our backs on God, when we spit in his face and we turn away from him, he says, hey, Caleb, I love you still. Church of MIBC, when we turn away from God sometimes, when we falter and fade away, and when we fall into temptation, God still comes to us and says, hey, church, I love you. I love you, church. And it's a genuine love. It's not just a, oh, I have to say it because, you know, we're in a relationship. But he actually genuinely means it. And as I said earlier, God's love is a never-changing, never-ceasing love. And it's always guaranteed. And that's a love you can't find in anyone else. As I said, that's a love I can't find in my wife and my wife can't find in me. Because we're humans. We're, we falter. But God is God. He never changes, never ceases. And he says, I love you. And he means it to the end. I also want to talk about who God loves. John 3.16, as we already saw, but God so, or for God so loved the world. Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we see that God's love is for everyone. There is nobody that is left out from God's love. And there is nobody that God has missed or forgotten about. There is not a day where God says, Man, I'm... Oh, I forgot to love Pastor Matt today. I'm sorry, Matt. <laughs> you know, God never lies. God knows everyone. God loves everyone. And His love is always there. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I go about my day. It's busy. And, you know, especially when it's school time. I'm in school. And then I go straight to work. I get home and I go to sleep. And, you know, sometimes there's been those days where, you know, I've forgotten to tell my wife that I love her. But, thankfully, God doesn't, no matter how busy God's life may be or, uh, taking care of the world and taking care of all of us. God loves us and He always tells us and shows us that He loves us. And we see that from Romans 5.8 that His love has been extended to every man. Even while we were sinning, even while we had our backs turned towards God, God still loved us. 
God still loved us enough to show us His love by letting His Son die on the cross for us. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9 that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God has sent His love with His grace and His mercy to everyone because He doesn't want anyone to suffer. I want to ask you a question. What if God sent His love to only a select few, as the Calvinists teach? What if God says, I love you, 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 and you, not you, not you, not you? Or what if God says, I'll love these certain countries over here, and these here, but these up here, no, no, they've just they've turned their backs on me too much. I'm, I'm not going to love them. They don't deserve my love. The fact of the matter is, none of us deserve His love. Yet He loves all of us anyways. But if God did that, we'd be like, oh, He's not a very loving God then. You know, that's what the Calvinists teach. That's, you know, Buddhism, Muslims. They teach all these things. You have to follow these rules or else you're, else God's not going to love you. Else Allah's not going to love you. Else you're not going to be a perfect Buddhist. And all these different religions, that's what they teach. You have to follow these rules else you're not going to be loved. But thankfully, our God says, hey, no, even when you had your back turned on me, I still loved you. And God still says that today. Even when you turn your back on me, even as a Christian, when you turn your back on me, I still love you. And it means the world to me. It means I'm sure it means the world to you to know that, hey, even though I may disappoint Him sometimes, even though I may turn my back on Him sometimes, I can always go back to Him knowing He'll have His arms wide open ready to receive me again because He still loves me. We see that God not only has given us His love, but my second point is that God has given us His only begotten Son. Jesus left His throne in heaven to be born in the lowly manger, dwell among men. He showed nothing but love, mercy, and kindness. And then to top it all off, He chose to go to the cross and die for our sins. We know that Christ came to earth and that He suffered and died for us. But many times we don't wonder if we don't think about all that He went through. I don't know a lot of times in my life I've gone through knowing God loves me, knowing He died on the cross for me so that I could be saved. But there's been many times in my life where I haven't really thought about all that God had went through just so that He could die on the cross for me, just so He could take my place. And so I want to look at a few things. So before He even got to the cross, Christ was beaten and mocked. Luke 22, verses 63 to 65 says, and the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other things blasphemously spake they against him. Matthew 27, verses 25 to 31 says, Then answered all the people and said, His blood be upon us and our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And we read from the Bible how they did so many things towards him. They would beat him and they mocked him. And they came to Jesus and they blindfolded him and then they smote him. And it wasn't just a light little, okay, who hit, who hit you, Lord? No, it was a full-on beating. 
These are Roman soldiers, and they full on beat him. And then they say, "Hey, who hit you?" And he knew who hit him. It was that hit him. And they took a, the, the robe and they put it on him. And scarlet is a picture of royalty. And they gave him the crown of thorns and reed. And then they mocked him and bowed before him, saying, "Oh, hail, King of the Jews!" Mocking who he claimed to be. And we see that he was also mocked. As I said earlier, they blindfolded him, smote him, saying, "Hey, who hit thee?" And they were mocking his claim of omniscience, of knowing all things. And yet, you know what happened? He just sat there. He stood there. He took it all. He knew it was that was hitting him. If he wanted to, he could have said, stop, bow down, worship me for real. And they would have had to bow down and worship him. But instead, he just took it all. He just took it all for us. He just took it all for me. He took it all. All of this pain, the agony, the humility, the mockery. All because of His love for us. And when they says that they were, says there, when they were done mocking Him and beating Him, they led Him away to crucify Him. And He, as we see, He willingly walked to Calvary. Yes, it was in between soldiers, but I don't think they had to drag and force Him. I believe He walked all the way up to Calvary. And once He got to Calvary, I believe that Christ willingly laid on that cross. I believe they had the cross there prepared for Him. And as with other many people they had to do, they would lay them on and they'd have to bind them and tie them on because they didn't want to die. They didn't want to go there. And I honestly believe that Christ went there and He laid on the cross, stretched out His arms, and just lay there, waiting for the Roman soldiers to put the nails in His hands and in His feet. Because He said, I need to go on this cross so that I can die for Caleb Wolf. I need to go on this cross because there's so many people that I want to save, that I need to save and there's going to be so many people that accept me, going to accept me. And I'm the only way for them to have a Savior. Now I want to look at what happened to him while he was on the cross. Matthew 27, verses 39 to 54. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down. Let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. This is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be. Let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Now, when the centurion and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, 
They feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. And so we see from these verses that, first of all, he was mocked by the Roman soldiers. He was mocked and beaten by them. And then they take him to the cross. And then as he's on the cross, it's the Jews that come up to him and start mocking him. And it gets so bad to where it's even the priests, those that claim to be holy, those that claim to be closest to God, come to him and they mock him saying, he saved others, yet he can't save himself. If he really be the king of Israel, then come down from the cross. Then we'll worship you. He trusted in God. Let God deliver him. But only if God will have him. He said he's the son of God. Yeah, we don't even believe God will even come and save him. That's how much we don't think he's after the Son of God. These are the chief priests, those that claimed to be holy, that said they were close to God. They mocked him. They didn't even realize this was the actual Son of God because they were so filled with hate and jealousy. But even worse than the mockings of the Jews and the chief priests is the fact that we read he had his own father turn his back on him. Matthew 27, verse 46, it says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We see that Jesus loved us so much that he came to die for our sins. And a sin that was so great that the Father had to turn away his back from his own son. Now, I've done some pretty stupid things in my life. And I've done some pretty things, like dumb things to where my, you know, I've probably embarrassed my parents, humiliated them. And there's never been a time, though, that my dad's said, hey, I, I, I can't, you know, I can't deal with you now. It's too much, you know. But it's not that God said, I can't deal with Jesus right now. You're too much, Jesus. But it's the fact that Jesus took all our sin on him. And Christ, on God, who is the light of the world, said, I'm the light, and now you've taken so much darkness upon you, I can't even look at you. You've taken the whole sin of the world, I can't even look at my own son because of all the sin you've taken upon yourself. And he was covered with your sin and with my sin. That's the sin that covered the light of the world. That's how truly dark we are. That's how dark our lives are. That's how much sin is. And it covered him. And God said, hey, I can't, I can't even look at you anymore. I have to turn away. But Christ was willing to have his father turn his back on him so that he could save us still. Once again, going back to the fact of how much God truly loves us. We also see that while he is on the cross, he gave up his life. Now, may I remind you that Jesus Christ is immortal. It means that he can't die. Yet he loves us so much that over 2,000 years ago, he was willing to die on the cross for us. He was willing to put away his immortality just so that he could die for me, as poor Richard sinner that I am, and so he could die for you, the sinners that you are. And he said, you know, for Caleb Wolf, I'm willing to die all because I love him. And I remind you that God said, hey, for the whole world, I'm willing to send my son to die because I love them. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never had someone love me so much that they were willing to die for me, that they actually went and died for me. 
I don't know anyone that's done that except for Jesus Christ. Now I want to look at the fact that after the cross, it didn't just end with Him being buried on in the grave. But no, three days later, He rose from the grave and conquered death. And we can praise the Lord that He rose from the grave. And the reason why He did this was so that we could have full assurance and resur- uh, in the fact that we now can have victory over death. Christ arose from the grave victorious and made many witnesses of His resurrection so that as we read the Bible today, we can know 100% that our Savior is alive and that He has given us the victory and that we can have complete confidence and trust in His Word. And we can read our Bible and say, Hey, I know what it says is true. And as we come to God, and as doubts come to our minds, we can go to the Bible and say, well, what does the Bible say about this? And we can flip through it knowing that, Hey, I'll find the truth in here. I'll find the answers. And we can trust what's in here because of what God has done for us. We also see that because of what he, that He arose and gave us victory over death, He has now given us eternal life. John 3.16 Whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, how do we get this eternal life? Well, the first thing we have to realize is that it's a gift. Ephesians 2.8-9 says that for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of man, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we must realize that it's a gift. There is nothing we have to do to earn it. There is nothing we can do to earn it. But all we have to do is be like that publican who in the quietness of his heart knelt before God and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all we have to do. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to do something. We don't have to go to a priest confess all our sins. We don't have to follow these rules and these laws. But all we have to do is recognize, hey, you know what? I'm not a good person. I can't on my own get to heaven. And we just have to go to Christ and say, hey, I know who I am. I know who you are. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. We also must recognize, you know, it's available for all. John 6.37 says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. There's no one that's too too wicked, too full of sin for God to love. No, no one that is too full of sin for God to forgive and accept as His own Son. You might say, you know, I'm not a very good person. I've, I've done some terrible things in my life. I don't know if God can love me. I've heard people do that as I've gone knocking on doors and trying to witness to them. And I say, hey, the Bible says here, God so loved the world. You're part of the world. That means you. Think of Paul. What did Paul all do? He persecuted the church, killed tons of people, tortured them, persecuted them. And then God came up to him and said, hey, Paul, I love you. And then look what Paul did for Christ. And God can do the same thing with you. And God can say, hey, your past may not be the greatest. You may have got some, some bad things in the past, but hey, I love you. I want to save you. I want to use your life. And we have to remember that, hey, you know, even those of us that don't have, you know, such a dirty past or, you know, those things in the, in the past of our lives that, you know, we could, people may find out and be like, oh, terrible things, you know. We might have grown up in a Christian home. 
We might have, you know, come to church all our lives. And to be honest, I think that the fact of that being our lives have been cleaner, we should be even more thankful that God saved us because of the fact that, hey, you know what? God didn't, you know, as people say, you know, God didn't save me from my, my drunkenness and my drugs and the alcohol and all these things. But you know what? God still reached out to us saying, hey, even though you haven't done any of those things, you still need me. And we still recognize how much we needed God. And so even if you've grown up in church, and we recognize the fact that, hey, you know what? I may not be the, the worst person. I'm not, you know, in the world I was classified as a bad person, but I still needed Christ. And that's a great testimony. That's a great witnessing tool to bring to others. When you're knocking on doors and people say, hey, I don't know if God can love me. And I'll say, hey, you know what? I never did any of those things, but I still realized and recognized that I needed Christ in my life. And God can do the same thing for you. God can turn your life around. And God forgets the past. As it says, He buries our sins in the deepest sea of the sea. And so we recognize that God loves us so much that He gave His own Son to die on the cross for us. And that He gave us the victory over sin. And He's given us promise to give us eternal life for all those that accept it. And the last thing I want to look at is the fact that now that we, for all of us that have accepted God's love, for all of us that have accepted Christ's death on the cross as payment for our sins, and we have accepted Him as our Savior, God has given all of us now a command. We are called to give the gospel to the world. Mark 16, 15. And He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You must remember that this wasn't a suggestion, but this was rather, in fact, a command. He didn't say, hey, if you want to go and preach the gospel, he said, hey, go and preach the gospel. (coughs) Excuse me. We also must realize that God has told us we are supposed to be the light unto the world. Matthew 5, 14, 16 says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and giveth and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So you see, we are supposed to be the light of the world. As it says, ye are. Now that's that's a being verb. For all of you that like to learn English. <laughs> That's a being verb. That means we're supposed to be the light of the world. You are. It's, it's an active voice. It doesn't mean, hey, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, but you know, I doesn't, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll keep my life pure. It doesn't mean I have to show the world that I'm a Christian. It doesn't mean I have to be at work and, you know, tell them, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm a Christian. I, you know, I believe certain things, and you know, I'm going to live my way as you know I believe the Lord wants me to. But we are supposed to live that way. We're not supposed to hide it. We're supposed to let it shine. We're supposed to be that beacon on the top of a hill that people can look at and say, hey, you know what? In this dark world, there's a bit of light. There's a bit of hope over there. And as they get close to that light, they can say, hey, that light's a person. Why, why does that person have light? And they come to you and say, hey, Brother Matt, why do you have light in your life? Why, why am I surrounded by darkness? But why, why do you have this light? Why can, why do you have light? Why can you see where you're going? And you can say, hey, well, it's because I believe in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and He is the light of the world, and He's given made me the light, given me light to shine to the world now as well. 
we're also told that we're supposed to be the salt of the earth. Matthew 5.13 says, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savior, savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Now why would God say, hey, you're the salt? Well, salt preserved. Salt also clean, cleansed. If you have a wound, you put salt, a lot of times they would put salt in it and it would cleanse and kill that bacteria. And the fact of the matter is, our lives are supposed to be so clean, so purified, so preserved in the love of Christ and in living our lives out for Christ, that when we're around people, it should sting them a little bit. In this dark world, where everyone's just doing what they want, living the way they want, saying, there is no God, I can do whatever I want and get away with it. Our lives should show that, hey, there is a God, to where when they're with us, oh, stings a little bit. It convicts a little bit. You know, why in the world, in this dark, when people are going through troubles and trials, and they're like, they don't have peace about it, but they see us going through troubles and trials, and they're like, hey, how come, how come you can have peace about it? How in the world do you have this peace that I don't? Once again, why do you have this light that I don't? Well, because I believe in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you want to have Him in your life as well, you can have the light that I have. You can have the cleansing that I have. You can have the preservation of it for eternity that I have. And our lives ought to sting them a little bit to where they say, you've got something I don't have. You've got something good that I don't have. You've got something I want because I don't have it yet. Do you mind sharing with me what it is? Do you mind sharing with me more about this Jesus you talk about? And in this day and world, like I said, there's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of hurt. And as Christians, we're supposed to be that light and we're supposed to be that healing for them. God, that's why God told us to be the salt. But I want to point out to the fact of this part of this verse where it says, but if the salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing. What is your life like now? Are you being that salt that God wants us to be? Or are you, as I said earlier, are you just living your life saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, but, you know, it's good for me. Lord, thank you for my, for my Bible. I thank you, Lord, that I have the freedoms to read it and see what you have for me. Lord, I thank you that, you know, I know you love me so much and I, I just appreciate that so much. I'm just going to hold it so tight, Lord, and thank you for that. Instead of saying, hey, you know what? The Lord loves me. The Lord loves you too. It's in His Word. It's spread throughout His Word. It's shown in every day of our lives. He loves me and He loves you too. And that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be convicting to the world. We're supposed to show them God's love. So on this counter today, let's not only think about you know, the freedoms we enjoy here in our great country, but let's also think about the freedoms God has granted us. Let's be thankful for, yes, the freedom in our country we have here, for the great country we have. Let's also be thankful for the great salvation we've accepted, for the great salvation we've been given. And let's not just declare how proudly we are to be Canadian, but let's also declare how proud we are to be Christians. In a day and age of this world where Christianity is looked down upon, Christianity is looked called, you know, 
we're called very, you know, bad things. And it's like, oh, you're a Christian? Shame on you. But you know what? Why shame on us? Why shame on us? Why does the world say shame on us? Why can't we just show them God's love? So that they say, hey, you got something I don't have. You got something I want. Can you tell me more about this? Why are you so not ashamed of the gospel? Why are you so privileged and you know so thankful? Why 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 are you so at peace in life? Like don't don't you ever get troubles and trials? It's like yeah I, I do, but the Lord tells me that I can trust Him to cast my cares all my cares upon Him because He cares about me and He's going to take care of me. But what about your finances? Aren't don't they sometimes you worry about them? Yeah, but God tells me to seek Him first and then all these things will be added unto me. And He's going to take care of me. I don't get that. How can you trust in someone you can't even see? And you say, because I feel Him. You know, people say, you know, oh, you can't see God, therefore He is. Well, to be honest, He is there if you just look for Him. And so in this dark world, let's remember, hey, you know, we've been given a great freedom We've been given freedom from sin. The, the worst thing in, in this world is sin. And we've been given the freedom from that. So let's act like it. Let's live like it. And let's be thankful and declare it and say, hey, I've got the freedom and you can have it too. You know, that's Canada's big promotion is, you know, we're this great free country and we're bringing all these immigrants in so they can enjoy our freedoms. Well, why doesn't our church do that too? Why don't we go out in this world and say, hey, Look at all these, the freedom of, I have from sin because of what Christ has done for me. Look, why don't you come to my church so I can, we, you can hear about what God has done for you too, so you can have that freedom as well. To where, we won't just have a great country, but we'll have a great church as well. We'll have great Christian reunion. We'll have great Christian fellowship. All because we remember the fact that God loves us. And of all that He's done for us. So as I said, on this Canada Day, let's be thankful we're Canadians. Be thankful for all the freedoms we have. Well, let's also remember the fact of all the freedoms we have with Christ. We must be proud of that.